0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepound for
1: those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
4: Hi, Molly. My name is Jess. I'm 27 years old. um, And I just want to let you know that I just listened to your um, executive functioning slash dysfunctioning episode. And my therapist has actually been trying to get me to see, like, executive dysfunction as um, part of my, like, trauma history for, like, a while now. Uh, It's something I severely struggle with. And um, listening to your episode today was really refreshing. And I've been telling myself this over time for a while now, like, a little by little, like, telling myself... No one taught you to cook. No one taught you to go to the grocery store. No one taught you when to take a shower, when not to take a shower, like no one taught you any of this. So how like now looking at it at least in part, like can't I'm this is me talking to myself, like, can't you see how that could be overwhelming to like now be twenty seven and not know basic life things, you know? I have my own apartment, I've been uh, working on developing like a good space for myself and I just cleaned a lot of my bathroom that's been extremely messy because of, like I think in part because of the inspiration for your episode so thank you so much um all right good night
0: thank you so much Jess for that voicemail it's pretty cool to see what just listening to something that validated you and instead of thinking something's wrong with you and labeling something like executive dysfunction what's actually more helpful is this self-compassion we offer ourselves hey this was never behavior that was modeled for me or taught to me so no wonder i'm struggling or i witnessed all of the adults around me struggle with these things how was i supposed to just grow up and magically know how to take care of myself And I also want to provide even more validation for you, Jess, and anyone else who's out there listening and maybe also struggles with basic self-care. It's not easy. And so many of us are so overwhelmed and struggling with so much stuff that we need to heal. And someone who's never been in the pits and rock-bottom moments doesn't understand how difficult it can be to even get up and take a shower sometimes. So I love that you just got up and decided to clean your bathroom. And like I shared on the executive functioning episode, just try doing something for 15 minutes that you have been putting off. If you're having that feeling, that guilt that's building up, or it's like, you know, you have to do something, do just 15 minutes of it. And if that's all you can do, great, you can feel accomplished. And nine times out of 10, you'll end up doing it for a little bit longer. So I'm loving hearing that you found that helpful. As always, if you would like to send me a voicemail, you can do that by going to my website and clicking the microphone icon. I wanted to take a moment and read an email I received from a listener named Ashley. She writes, hi i've spent the last five weeks listening to your podcast thank you by the way i currently work at the lowest barrier homeless shelter in all of vancouver island it's rough it's sad it's triggering as a chef i work as part of the kitchen team and we serve residents at the shelter of over 300 people this is the first job i've had that i haven't wanted to run away from i'm 31 now I've been working since the age of 12 as a cook. I've left jobs with Michelin star chefs. I had an opportunity to work for the head chef of the culinary Olympic team in Canada, and my BPD didn't allow me to go. I wondered if your listeners could benefit from having an episode about, well, not only how to deal with work, but how to find the right job for them. Having spent 18 years running from every conflict at every job I've ever had, I can confidently say that working at a homeless shelter has been the most beneficial job I've ever had. Today, my favorite resident died. I loved his soul. Due to being the lowest barrier shelter in BC, we take in all sorts. Most of which should be in a well-funded institution, but somehow they ended up here. It's like a shelter for addicts to learn how to be worse addicts, almost as if it's a prison, where low-risk criminals go to learn how to be high-risk criminals. I want to tell you, I want to tell your listeners, to go out and do something good, whatever it might be. Just get up, go outside, and help someone. Even though I have so many digs at the medical and... Health industry as a whole, it doesn't mean that the people within its grasp aren't worthy of your time. If you're feeling lost, sad, angry, or triggered in your BPD journey, go outside and walk until you find someone to give spare change to. Donate to a charity. Recovering from something like BPD is a huge task, it's a lot, a lot. And frankly, not all of us have the strength to do the work every day. We can always leave a shirt on the sidewalk of Skid Row. We can always buy an extra cup of coffee for someone who needs it. If you need help, give help. What a profoundly beautiful message from Ashley. I think it's something all of us can meditate on. And I can relate to this a lot because part of the reason why I've been able to make such incredible strides in my own recovery is by taking on the passion project of this podcast. A year and a half ago, before I started this, my therapist Bev said to me, do you have a hobby outside of work? Do what is your passion? What is your, your purpose? And that feeling of emptiness I felt when she mentioned that showed me that there was a hole in my life where a creative and helpful offering. I have skills that I can use that can help people. And it just so happens that my particular set of talents lends itself to something we're calling podcasting and I can help people feel seen and heard. There's a million different ways and combinations that we can help and You listening, you have your specific way. And it doesn't have to be starting a podcast. It can be something as simple as what Ashley shared here. I go back to her words. We can always leave a shirt on the sidewalk of Skid Row. We can always buy a cup of coffee for someone who needs it. If you need help, give help. All you have to do is type into Google... The question, how doing good for others helps your mental health, and there have been countless studies done on this. Research indicates that people who consistently help other people experience less feelings of emptiness and depression. It increases feelings of calm. It decreases pains. It even has been proven to help people live longer. Some other research has shown that students who performed five acts of kindness a day increased their happiness, and providing emotional support to other people significantly decreased the harmful health effects of certain kinds of stress among older people. And people who donated money to a charity got a boost in this feel-good part of their brain as revealed in brain imaging research. Doing random acts of kindness, like the ones Ashley's describing here, it helps us feel better and needed in a variety of ways, right? It can remind us how blessed we are. Helping someone in need can help us be grateful for the things that already are in our lives, like a roof over our head, um, a full stomach from a meal, access to clean water, it can help us feel more connected to other people. It can make us feel needed, like we're effective. It takes our mind off of our own inner world, you know, making ourselves the main character of the universe. And it adds this sense of purpose and meaning to your life. For me, this is just an example from my own personal experience, knowing that I have listeners that are looking forward to hearing an episode and that this podcast has been such a lifeline for so many of you. It gives me a feeling of purpose. Like I have a community that I am accountable to in a, in a great way, not in like a high pressured way. It makes me feel like I have a purpose. And so thank you, Ashley, so much for this absolutely beautiful email that you sent. I received another email from Kyla and she writes, Hi Molly, my name is Kyla and I've been listening to your podcast for about three months now. I wanted to reach out to you because I really resonated with an experience you shared in one of your more recent podcast episodes. I was diagnosed with BPD about nine months ago and it's something I've struggled to accept ever since. I was happy to finally have better understanding of what I was going through and at the same time, I felt so much shame knowing the stigma that would come with the diagnosis. Your podcast, along with DBT, has helped me move towards acceptance. Five months ago, I started the first semester of my master's program in clinical and counseling psychology, and since then, the shame has literally increased exponentially. Similar to what things you mentioned in one of your more recent podcasts, I've had many cohort members and professors make comments about people who struggle with BPD. I assume that some of them were meant to be harmless jokes, and others have come off a little more stigmatizing, but they've all bothered me in some way. I've had many times where my blood would boil with anger in class, or I would feel like bursting into tears because of the comments. I've tried to hide my feelings as best as I can, along with my symptoms. It's hard because my professors are also clinicians and I have this deep-rooted fear that if I feel like I'm displaying BPD-like behavior or find out I've been, been diagnosed with BPD, then they'll see me as unfit to be a clinician and kick me out of the program. I really love my program and I love my cohort even more, but a part of me feels like I have to keep them from finding out I have this deep, dark secret. I could honestly type out so much more but I just feel moved to share with you and I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one who's experienced something like this. Thank you for this recent episode and everything else that you're doing in this world. Thank you for this message, Kyla. I wish I didn't relate to this as much as I did. As many of you are aware who are longtime listeners, but I know that some people just tune in and this is the first episode they're hearing. I myself started my master's program in Uh, marriage and family therapy. There's a few different tracks you can do when you want to become a therapist. There's like licensed clinical social worker, um, licensed marriage and family therapist. And then there is like a counseling track. I think there's various different paths you can take. And I had a similar experience. And I really feel for you because isn't it so shit that... People, especially teachers who are setting an example for the work of these students that are looking up to and learning from them, that's giving them a hall pass to say that it's okay to say these stigmatizing things. And it just perpetuates these not only harmful stereotypes, but just completely incorrect. And it just goes to show that even people that are teaching these subjects There are some really good ones out there, but there are also a lot of professors that clearly have a lot of continuing education that they need to do themselves. And that's why I ended up backing out of my program because I thought, am I seriously going into tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt to learn from people who are basically just poisoning the well of the industry? And I don't believe in making blanket statements. I believe there are incredible programs out there and incredible professors, but it's a real problem. And enough people have written me about this that it makes me really sad that this is the state of the world. Now, I did about a year of my master's program and I still have $18,000 of student loan debt to prove it. And I never even ended up getting my master's because I just thought, this is not helping me. I've done so much more reading on my own that has allowed me to kind of create almost an educational path for myself that feels more aligned for me. And providing peer support and being a fellow seeker has been a lot more fulfilling for me and it helped me kind of escape that stigmatizing environment. But that doesn't mean that I think that anyone who's experiencing this should leave their programs because we need people like you, Kyla, who are going to be therapists. And I would say to you what I would say to my sister or a friend, which is don't show your cards. Don't let them see you sweat. Just notice and see what's going on and let that inform your work when you leave school. There's no point in trying to change the worldview, especially of someone like a professor who would probably have some kind of ego breakdown if you tried to point out the flaws in their worldview. And there's no point in trying to change the minds of other people. But what you can do is watch, listen, become curious, and know exactly what you want to change when you're out there as a practicing counselor. And I'm really happy to hear that there are people like you out there who want to do good and want to move the ball forward. And just remember, just because a clinician at some point in your life slapped a BPD label on your medical records does not mean that you have to identify with that diagnosis. As I've said many times before, it's just a string of words. It's just a label. It doesn't have to say anything about who you are. But what it does is that it connects you with a big group of us who understand, who have these big feelings, who understand that what is known as BPD is just a group of symptoms that developed because you had to likely adapt to a very invalidating and traumatizing society and maybe home environment. So I'm sending you all the love in my heart. I admire you for plowing forward and continuing on with this program. And just remember, never let them see you sweat. Just remember that these are deeply, deeply held beliefs that many at the highest level still hold. But if we all work together, we can change. And I believe that things are changing and systems like this move very slowly and change slowly But if we keep working and we keep educating others and keep fighting together, we can make big, big changes happen.
5: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host.
0: So I've been sitting on some voicemails, like a pile of voicemails. And I admit I've been going, like, how in the fuck am I even gonna approach all of these? Cause there's so many of them and they're so good. And I like want to almost do an episode for each voicemail, but I know that I can't do that. So what I did was I went through all my voicemails and I broke them up into topics that I felt like could go together. And as expected, I went through my most highly performing episodes of all time, just kind of took a a walk down memory lane since I started this podcast a year and a half ago And by far, the most highly performing episodes are ones about love, sex, and breakups. Like, of course, right? Because those of us who struggle with regulating our emotions and have issues with trust and abandonment and trauma, it displays itself most prominently in relationship to other people. And so... Not only did I get a ton of voicemails about these topics, is that some of them went really well together. So this episode is going to be mostly on the topic of guilt, shame, and breakups, and feeling like we just completely fucked up a relationship, and that we're the problem, and that almost there's no hope. That's the theme of these voicemails. So I'm going to play these and respond to them. And it's my hope that you'll hear yourself in these other listeners' experiences and can find some sense of peace and understanding and self-compassion through hearing them. So let's first hear from Aaron.
2: Hi, Molly. Um, My name is Aaron. I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York just wanted to express my gratitude and how grateful I am for the community that you've created and for expressing yourself and being so vulnerable and creating this podcast for so many people out there that struggle with the same things as myself and you and I'm sure everyone that listens to your podcast that being said I've been diagnosed as being borderline for 5 years now ever since I got sober Um, So I imagine it's always been there in my life, but the hardest part I've noticed in the last five years is love and abandonment, be loved and give love and be in a healthy relationship, but I don't know how, and I don't think I've ever known how, and it makes so much sense now, but... I mean, I'm just deeply in love with somebody that I don't know if they feel the same way about me anymore because I ruined it, (laughs) like so many classic cases. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. And, I don't know, just calling and appreciate you for you. So thank you, Molly.
0: Oh, Aaron, my heart just goes out to you. And I hope that you can feel the love that I am passing through to you through this microphone. It's my sincere hope that you feel that. I know so much (sighs) that feeling that you're feeling. I know it very, very well. And I have no doubt that there are a number of listeners out there right now who have felt so seen and heard by you vulnerably sharing that. And I just want to thank you for picking up your phone, going to my website, and having the bravery to share what you just shared. It's very rare. And I know it's really hard, too, for men to open up and do what you just did. It's hard for all of us, but I do know that extra layer of not really feeling like it's safe or okay to be vulnerable. And you talked a lot about addiction, fears of abandonment, a lot of self-hatred saying that you ruined it and that you don't know if it's possible for you to be in a healthy relationship. And before I go into exploring what I think might be a good response for this because I have lots to share. I want to play another voicemail from Joe, and I think you'll hear the connecting thread between Aaron's voicemail and Joe's voicemail.
1: Hey, Molly. My name is Joe. I'm 29 from St. Augustine, Florida. I'm trying to be quick because I keep recording this and messing it up, but I just want to say I've been listening to your podcast for like a week and a half, like 20 episodes in, your podcast has really been opening my mind and, like, showing me so much about myself that I did never understood. I always knew about myself but never understood. And I'm going through an intense-ish breakup with my ex of a year and a half or a year and some months now. And I was ready to marry this person. I thought she was the one, and I, maybe she is, but the point is, is that I so much of my BPD behavior and unmanaged characteristics that I've acquired over my life led to the blowing up of my relationship. And if I only had found your podcast like a year and a half ago, I would have been so much more regulated and mindful and aware of my actions and my behavior. And it's like bittersweet because I'm like, wow, like, I'm so, I know so much more about myself now and Molly helps me understand and feel good about like everything. And at the same time I'm like, fuck, like I would do anything to go back and try to fix this and if listen to this podcast with her. And uh but I love you, Molly, and you're awesome. Thank you for everything. I haven't even gotten that far yet, but if you could touch on a breakup episode and managing the insane feelings that I've been having. I've got honestly so much better. It's been like a month now of me losing my fucking shit and wanting to ram my head into walls. But honestly, your podcast literally just like saved me so much like inner like working and like inner overthinking about everything because I, as much as there's a lot of things that I fucked up, made mistakes about during our relationship and not never knew and I always thought these were like this things about me that I was just like, oh, like, this is just shitty things about me. But now I'm like, oh, wow, like these are unmanaged problems from my BPD that I'd never looked at before. And now, Molly, big sis Molly, you've opened my eyes so much. And I'm so grateful for you and for your podcast and for everything you do. I just wanted to say that. And I have a friend, a couple friends too that I realize have BPD I've been putting on too. So like all together, like breakup, terrible, sucked, probably one of the worst moments of my life. One of the best was finding your podcast, learning more about myself and breaking into this fucking journey of more me. So thank you. Love you. Bye.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Love you. Bye. Love that. Thanks, Joe, for those voicemails and again, for your honesty and vulnerability and I'm going to touch on all these themes that are coming up but we're going to hear one more voicemail and this one is from Maddie.
6: Hey this is Maddie and I'm 18 years old and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. I have a question for you because I really don't know where to go from here. I found that the person that I was with for two and a half years kind of became my my whole life. Like my, re- my life revolved around them. And so it didn't really matter what else happened as long as they were there. Um, and of course, he doesn't have borderline personality disorder, so he's able to create better goals for himself. And he ended up deciding that it would be better for him to, you know, focus on his schooling and focus on his uh, than it would be for him to focus on our relationship. And so now it has been about three months since we've split. And when I tell you that I'm still thinking about him every second of every minute of every day, I am so serious. And I don't even know where to go from here. And so if you have any idea of how I can try to shift my focus and try to become ready to date other people,
0: I would be glad to know. Thank you. Thank you, Maddie, for that voicemail. Wow, y'all. Aaron, Joe, and Maddie. So at this point, you can probably understand why I chose to play these three specific voicemails back-to-back, and you can already see the connecting thread between all of these stories. First, I want you to see the connection. You're not alone in these feelings. So many people are going through this. You aren't broken or disordered or beyond help. I have been exactly where each of the three of you are in my life many times before. I'm 33 now and I think there's probably been like four or five people that I have convinced myself were quote-unquote the one and I look back and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking?" But I can only say that now having distance between and also giving myself time to figure out who the fuck I actually am. And I thank God now that I didn't end up with those people, not because they were horrible people or anything like that. It's not about them. It's more about that. I only just now feel like now that I'm learning to forgive myself and working through and feeling through my traumas, that I'm actually able to grow into who I am. And Joe said it really beautifully that he's starting to find himself. And too many of us fall into trying to find ourselves in other people. And that's where we go wrong. It can feel like when you're in your late teens and in your 20s, like there is extreme pressure to settle down and find the one But ironically, when we're so obsessively in that search, it's almost like our trauma and our wounds are on the hunt for someone to fill a hole. And that does not put us in a good headspace to find someone that's actually a good fit for us. Because if we're still operating from a place of our trauma, we are not able to make a sound decision on who would be a good life partner for us and also You're going to be picking a life partner based upon the place that you're at in your growth right now. And now it doesn't mean that you have to be single in order to heal. I actually don't believe that at all. I believe some of our most deep and profound healing can be found in relationship with others. But if you just happen to be out of a relationship that sort of blew up and you're kind of picking the broken pieces of yourself back together, that's a really good opportunity to spend some time by yourself, right? It doesn't mean that if you're struggling, you need to end whatever relationship you're in and be like, I need to be single in order to heal. You, you hear that a lot, right? Like don't get into a relationship until you're better. And it's like, what? No, you deserve love. You deserve a connection and relationship at no matter what stage of your life you're in. But if you happen to find yourself single After a really traumatic relationship, it's a really good opportunity to spend some conscious time by yourself. And if a relationship happens to fall into your lap along the way, okay, we can talk about that. But I don't think that right after something like this ends, you should be right out on the hunt to try to find another person to fill that hole, right? We're too focused on filling holes, and I'm literally making a very sexual and funny joke there. You get it? Too many. Let's stop worrying about stuffing holes, and let's start focusing inward and healing ourselves and sitting and giving our bodies and our minds and our inner selves and that inner child within you some love, and it is begging for your attention, and this is the time to do it. What I think we need to talk about here, again, is limerence. Limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. Limerence is something that is not spoken about nearly enough, and what gets spoken about a lot more is the BPD favorite person phenomenon, okay? And FP, I feel like, is so overdone, and there's such unhelpful information about FPs out there that it just drives me nuts. And there is already a concept out there called limerence that is a much better explanation of the FP relationship phenomenon. So let's explore what is limerence first. And this will be a good revisit for listeners who have already heard me talk about limerence, but we're going to view it through a bit of a different lens of healing from a breakup and kind of emerging into a new stage of your life after you are kind of sifting through the broken pieces. So what's limerence? Limerence is a state of mind characterized by intense feelings of infatuation, longing, and attraction to another person. It can feel like a mix of excitement, nervousness, and euphoria. People experiencing limerence may feel preoccupied with thoughts of the other person, constantly seeking their attention and approval and feeling a strong emotional bond with them. They may also feel anxious or nervous when they're not around the other person or when there is uncertainty about the relationship. Overall, limerence can be a powerful and overwhelming experience, but it's not necessarily a healthy or sustainable state for a relationship. It can also help to understand the difference between limerence and love. So then that can help you understand which state you're experiencing. Limerence is often characterized by those intense feelings of infatuation and that euphoria we just mentioned. While love is characterized by feelings of warmth, contentment, and security. And I think that if you are just coming out of a breakup or you're looking back at relationships that you've had in the past, or maybe you're kind of questioning your current relationship that you're in now, I think many of us end up sabotaging a good thing because we We're so used to the constant drama and we're looking for that quick hit of passion. And I think that's what ends up being the cause of many people cheating and being unfaithful to their partner is because they actually finally find a secure love and they find that to be boring it's really, really sad. And this is how you know that you're kind of stuck in this cycle of limerence. If you're constantly a chaos and drama addict, I'm calling myself out here. That was definitely a previous version of me. And now I recognize that when I feel that itchy feeling of like boredom, that I know that that's my trauma talking. Another key difference between limerence and love is that people experiencing limerence may feel preoccupied with the thoughts of the other person and constantly seek their attention and approval where people in a securely attached love are going to feel more secure in their relationship and less preoccupied with the other person This reminds me of like the older couples that you see where they just have their own lives and they're doing their own thing, but then they know that their partner is going to be there when they get home and they are just independent. And that's something that I've had to recognize within myself too. If I am feeling the constant need to have never ending approval and validation and attention from my partner that, and they don't give me that. That used to be a reason why I would say, oh, this wor- this isn't going to work. But then ironically, if somebody did give me that and was like obsessively texting me and okay. dumping all the validation and love onto me, I would actually find a reason to be like, ew, now I have the ick. Now I don't want this person. Again, that's the trauma talking, right? It's like we want something, but then when we actually get it, we see that, "Ooh, that's too much. So those of us who struggle with emotion dysregulation, these ups and downs and emotional imbalance, which is how I really want to start referring to whatever BPD is now, is just emotional imbalance, right? It's just a struggle with emotion regulation and balancing our emotions and tackling emotional congestion and constipation almost, and finding a way to let that energy flow again and learn about ourselves and see more clearly these patterns that we keep playing out. And what I kind of told myself when I recognized how stuck in limerence I was is like, do I really want to be this basic bitch? This like copy and paste person who's letting these programs run in my brain, these trauma programs. No skirt. I wanted to push pause on all that and recognize what was actually going on, which was I was a drama addict. I wanted the spark, the passion. And when I found another person who also wanted the spark and the passion, I thought they were the one, but in reality, it was just a trauma bond. And we'll talk about that more as well. So let's just explore a little, another last difference between limerence and love. So limerence is often associated with feelings of anxiety and uncertainty about the relationship, while love is often associated with feelings of comfort and security. And it's important to remember that limerence is not a long-term state. It's usually temporary and fades with time, and love endures over time. This is a reason why you'll often see like the stereotype and the archetype of kind of the Peter Pan man, right? Who never settles down. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio is a perfect example of this Peter Pan archetype where it's almost like a running joke now that once one of his girlfriends turns 25, he'll like dump them and move on to another younger woman. And he is, I mean, we don't know Leonardo DiCaprio. We can only know what we're seeing in the tabloids, which is just a whole nother problem anyway, but he's just a good example. It's just It's all fun and games when the relationship is new and you're banging a hot younger model, but then eventually once the shine wears off, you are dealing with that person's trauma and then they're dealing with your trauma and you actually have to start learning how to live in relationship with each other, right? You're hearing each other fart. You're walking into the bathroom after one of you took a massive shit and you smell the bathroom up, right? And it's not all fucking lingerie and exchanging nudes and living off the high and the shine of the initial relationship. And this is when we just have to look in the mirror and be like, are we being this basic? Are we really that addicted to the rush that we can't see these problems that we're repeating? And no matter how many young models he goes through, it's always probably going to come back to the same issues, the same stuff, but instead of tackling it, you're going to get the ick with that person and move on to another one. Do you see what I'm saying? And I'm not just calling out poor Leo here. <laughs> we, A lot of us do this. I feel like it's also important to note that these differences that I'm talking about, the differences between limerence and love, they're not always clear cut. So, someone may experience some overlap between limerence and love. It's not like you can't have both. Remember, look back in your relationships. Sometimes it was just like a pure, like limerent connection. Maybe you just met a hot person at the bar and you knew nothing about them. And you just like went, this is the one I'm obsessed. That's like pure limerence but maybe you've dated someone for six months and there's actual qualities that you're learning about them and you have exchanged genuine vulnerable moments and you think there's some love there, right? You feel loving feelings for this person, but you're also hanging on their every word. If they don't get back to you, your whole night is ruined and you are actually molding your entire existence around them so that when they drop out of your life, you feel like you have nothing that is a mixture of probably love and limerence, and it's really painful. The feelings and limerence can be really intense and overwhelming, so it can be difficult to distinguish it from love. And it might be helpful to consider how have your feelings for this person changed over time and how have the feelings impacted your overall well-being and the stability of your relationship. Another concept that I think will help anyone who relates to these voicemails, is trauma bonding. Trauma bonding, also known as Stockholm Syndrome, which you also might be familiar with, is a type of bonding that can occur between two people as a result of experiencing traumatic events together or just experienced in an emotionally intense relationship. And it's characterized by feelings of intense attachment and loyalty to another person, even in the face of negative or abusive behavior. And trauma bonding can happen in different types of relationships, such as romantic, family relationships, or even in work-related settings. But it's typically seen in situations where one person has power and control over the other person, such as in abusive relationships, cults, or like hostage situations. And some of the signs of trauma bonding are difficulty leaving a relationship despite experiencing negative or abusive behavior, making excuses for another person's abusive behavior, feeling a sense of loyalty or attachment to someone, even in the face of that abusive behavior, having difficulty trusting other people and feeling isolated from others, having a hard time distinguishing between the more abusive partners, negative behaviors, and positive behaviors, and even idealizing this person. It's really important also to remember that trauma bonding isn't a universally accepted term and not all experts agree on its definition. And it's also worth mentioning that not everyone who experiences a traumatic event or an emotionally intense relationship will develop a trauma bond. The reason why I'm trying to paint a picture of the connection points between limerence and trauma bonding is because I feel like oftentimes we find ourselves in these relationships where we put this person up on a pedestal that we're with, we deem them the one, and we are not in love, but we are in limerence, and then we also connect with another person who is experiencing deep trauma, and we're just like playing out these self-perpetuating patterns for each other. So for example, if you're like me and you witnessed a codependent relationship where one of your parents was emotionally abusive to the other, you may find yourself in a very similar relationship, which I did as well. So it's really important to think, are you caught in a loop? Are you repeating the same shit that you witnessed when you were growing up? It's really important to zoom out and recognize if that's the case. Something else I want to talk about is how often we use the phrase, I'm looking for the one, or I thought that they were the one. Here's something I wish someone else told me a long time ago. You need to stop looking for the one. It is a made up concept that used to sell romantic novels and movies. A real relationship needs work, commitment, compromise, understanding, and a willingness to have a two-way trade-off on every level. You need to meet each other halfway. You both have to be at a similar level of consciousness. You both need to value the same things and want to work towards the same goals as a relationship. Always remember that every successful relationship needs to be a two-way trade. You give something and you receive something in return. Otherwise, one side is always going to feel tired and the whole thing collapses. It doesn't need to be the same thing on the same level, but there does need to be some kind of Balance there. Have a healthy amount of skepticism and questioning for anyone who tells you that fantasies come true without any effort, because those fantasies are probably going to last just about as long as a dream. Life is full of challenges and it tests us every day. And you can either be a true partner and know that a relationship is. Difficult at times, and it's all about climbing up that mountain peak together, or you can get caught in this matrix loop and this fallacy, this lie that you should be waiting for your prince or princess charming to come and make your life a Disney movie. I saw a quote on Reddit that someone wrote about limerence and just this concept of the one, and they put, Yes. Relationships require work, but they also require a strong, fundamental foundation. That work has to be built on an already established base of mutual attraction, shared interests, common goals, congruent perspectives, and mutual respect. You can build in a swamp all you want. Your castle is still going to sink. Whew. That is really, really good. You can't build on a shaky foundation. And so many of us don't even think to ask about someone's shared interests, their common goals, understanding that you have similar perspectives on things. Some people get in relationships where there is no mutual respect and their partner clearly doesn't respect them at all. Or we don't respect our partners. Really. If we're honest with ourselves, that is building a relationship with a foundation in a swamp. Another super helpful comment I read on Reddit was I've always thought it was helpful to look at your personal mental health like a village on an island. If everything is doing okay on your island, then you can sail over to other people's islands, help put out fires, and build relationships. But if your own island is on fire, you have to put that out first and you have to be careful not to let other islands, even intentionally, send over burning boats that will mess up your island. When you're in a relationship, it can be hard because your partner's island may be having a hard time for a long time and you really need to visit there and you like visiting there. Always try to help, but remember that two burning islands are not better than one. And I really think that's an incredible way to view these things. It's almost like how they say you need to put your own oxygen mask on before you can help someone else. And I think if you're in a relationship already and you're going through problems, one of the best things you can do with your partner, and I mean problems by struggling with your mental health, maybe you're seeing that your Reactions and your coping mechanisms are having a detrimental effect on your partner. It's really important to recognize and validate that for your partner and not make your problems their problems that they have to clean up. Sure, they can be there to support and nurture you, but you should be the captain of your ship and let them know that you are doing what you need to do to take care of you and let them know that your work and the things that you're struggling with is not on them to fix and that you're grateful for them and their support. I want to finish up by exploring some of the emotions that came up in the voicemails that I received and I heard a lot of guilt. I felt a lot of pain, a lot of powerlessness, a lot of unworthiness. And I think it's important to explore deeper into these emotions. After recovering from many, many breakups, I've recognized that as you accept and learn to sit with the emotional pain that comes with things like breakups, you will find that it's generated by similar patterns of lies to ourselves and distorted thoughts. And this gets kind of deep, right? Because when we think about abandonment, that comes up a lot in relationships, especially with breakups. And abandonment is nothing more than a mistaken inner belief that someone has shunned you. When in reality, you have abandoned your own sense and belief that you are worthy Guilt came up a lot in these voicemails. When we feel guilt, that is this distorted belief that you're unworthy and that you somehow deserve punishment because of mistakes, failures, bad desires or choices. Guilt can come from a belief that some lesson that you've had to learn is unforgivable and whatever lesson you're experiencing is the wrong one. If you actually look into that, really ask yourself, why do you feel like you deserve punishment? You don't deserve that. No one is perfect. Everybody ends up hurting someone, relationships are messy, and maybe this is the exact lesson You need to learn right now in your life. Maybe you need to experience this heartbreak so that you can come out on the other side and enter into a new relationship in a better place. And what came up as well is this feeling of impatience, right? You need to move on really quickly to the next relationship. When you're feeling impatient, this is another distorted belief. You are telling yourself that the present circumstances are invalidating you in some way. When we're stuck in impatience and wanting to quickly fill the hole with someone else, that's adopting this attitude of pain avoidance. And we are selecting a future scenario as an antidote and then trying to control the present moment accordingly instead of just being with what is. In breakups too, loneliness can come up. Loneliness is also a distorted belief. And loneliness is a misconception that you are separate from all that is, from the universe, from this divine connecting thread that connects us all. Struggling with feelings of loneliness means you're holding a belief that being alone somehow means that you are not loved. And I'm here to tell you, you are loved and you are divinely held and you can provide that love for yourself as well. Breakups can also surface feelings of desire to control when we're feeling like we need to control the outcome of a breakup. Maybe say you want to get that person back or you don't want it to be this way. These desires of control are a mistaken and distorted belief that you lack the power to heal your own pain but instead you need to manage and control your pain and this desire to control reflects an unwillingness to accept your inherent creative power and accepting the power that you have the ability to create your reality is something also that causes us to blame other people for our pain If so-and-so wouldn't have done this to me, then I wouldn't be feeling this way. We create our inner landscape, these feelings by these negative loops that we get caught in. Something else that comes up in breakups is rejection, right? Big feelings of rejection. And rejection is nothing more than a distorted belief that tells you that Your negative thoughts that you have about yourself are really true. It's a belief that others really do have the power to validate or invalidate you. And rejection brings up those thoughts of hating yourself. And just know that just because you feel that way doesn't make it true. This is a loop that you're caught in. And those feelings of rejection lead to the other connecting thread of emotion through these voicemails that i heard which is self-loathing and self-loathing is nothing more than denying and invalidating your own experience and emotions it's a belief that you are undeserving of love it is an act of self-hatred i challenge you that if you are struggling with some of these feelings to explore the concept of acceptance and resistance Try this experiment this week and let me know how it goes. So for one day this week, consciously resist everything that occurs in your life. Really. Every feeling, everything anyone says in your mind, just try to resist it. it should be pretty easy because I feel like that's my natural state most of the time. And then the next day, try to accept everything that happens all the day's events as they transpire and then notice the sensations associated with your experience of acceptance really try this and then the third day reflect back maybe write a journal entry the day that you resist everything sit down at the end of the day and really think about how you feel how everything went and then the next day cultivate literally like a Buddha mind, be like the, the vibe of that day should be, I am going to accept whatever feelings come up, whatever anyone says to me, whatever happens, I'm going to just be. That doesn't mean that you have to put up with someone treating you like shit, of course, you know what I mean? So just please use common sense with this, but try to cultivate a feeling of acceptance and flow and then write a journal entry at the end of that day. It's really going to make you zoom out and see how much resistance you are cultivating in your everyday life, and you will begin to see how much power there is in an attitude of acceptance. It can be really easy to get caught in this feeling of self-loathing and self-hatred after a breakup and feeling the guilt and shame. It's so, so normal and you're not alone. But many of us treat our lessons and our growth in this way. We are so hard on ourselves. Rather than learning to love ourselves in the midst of our learning, instead of hating yourself, what if you made it okay to learn and grow? Rather than believing that these lessons or breakups or events mean that you still have a long way to go. You are always going to be growing and in the process of becoming. This is true for all things. All things in the universe are constantly in a state of growth, transformation and movement, and you are no exception. It's time that you accept that you are complete and that you are still growing. This universe we're creating collectively has a really strong healing vibration. And I want you to stay with me because this isn't woo-woo spiritual shit. This is like metaphysics. When we're working on healing something in ourselves, big or small, you need to try to reconnect yourself with the physical world. Take a walk outside in fresh air. Go jump in the ocean if you're near it. Nature absorbs emotion. Go put your feet in the ground, on soil. It really, really works. If you don't believe me, try it. Nature absorbs emotion. Breathe deeply and let your mind be open to any message that your pain has to deliver. Listen to your pain and let it speak to you and be with it. It just wants you to be there with it. So I want to end this part of the episode by guiding you through a small healing visualization if you are struggling with some of these things. This visualization you can do on your own. It's very simple, very easy, and you can use it for emotional or physical pain. So I invite you to close your eyes if you are somewhere safe to do so. If you are doing something where it's not safe to close your eyes, please don't. I'd like to start by inviting you to take a deep breath in through your nose. And release. And again, fully in. And release. Just be here in this moment. And notice whatever feelings are in your body right now. And I'd like you to just hone in on anywhere you're feeling physical or emotional discomfort. And as I guide you through this practice, I invite you to continue deep connected breathing. And what I mean by deep connected breathing is deeply in through your nose, deeply out through your mouth and immediately back in through your nose and out through your mouth again. There should be no space between the breath. And let it be soft and as natural as possible. Sit quietly. Continue with your deep connected breathing. And try to feel Where in your body that this physical or emotional discomfort resides? Can you feel it? Try to give it a shape and a texture. Is it sharp? Is it heavy? Does it have a color? Whatever comes into your mind, don't judge it. Just let it be. Now that you feel like you can feel and bear witness to this pain that you're feeling, I want you to draw your attention to the base at the rear of your skull which so is just right the top of the nape of your neck, the base of your skull, direct your attention to that area. This is the location of your medulla oblongata in your brain. I want you to visualize a ball of white light floating there right at the base of your skull. Really get that image in your mind of that beautiful ball of white light floating there. Tune into it and feel the warmth, the protection. And I want you to envision this sphere shooting a beam of white light directly to the physical location of your pain completely enfolding this location in your body. I want you to maintain this focus for a full 60 seconds, breathing deeply and evenly as you do this. So I'll sit here with you as your compassionate witness as you envision this beautiful ball of white light at the back of your skull, shooting a healing beam of light to this place that you feel your deepest pain resides in your body. Let's breathe into this pain together. if you feel like emotions are coming up that's okay let them come the minute is up I just want you to check in with your body again how does the discomfort feel now and this was very short and I invite you to do this practice in your own time with music or tones that feel right for you and whenever your rational mind is piping up to distract you Use this visualization of the beam of white light to take a moment to tune in and envelop that area of pain that you're feeling and see if you can just sit with it and hear what message it has for you. And you'll be surprised what comes up if you tune in. I want to thank you for participating with me in that. I know it can be difficult. And if big feelings came up for you, you're not alone. When I do that, a lot of times I find myself crying, but that's exactly what my body needs in that moment. And I'm just there for myself. And the message that I want to leave any of you with that are struggling with these things is that you are there to save you. You are the love of your life. You deserve love. You deserve healing. And you are not the exception to that. And take this opportunity and this moment to use these lessons, these moments in your life as an area where you can grow and transform You are always becoming, you are always growing. Give yourself a little bit of credit, ease up on yourself and give yourself some love today. Now, what I'm going to start doing at the end of each episode is giving you all a preview of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. That is a new podcast, a new show that I've started for my premium submarines and premium submarines get access to my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. Already this incredible new show that I'm starting is blowing me away. So many more subscribers have flooded in since I've started it. I am also offering my premium submarines, the monthly sonar system mailer, which is a newsletter that I provide my premium subscribers with that has podcast episodes, YouTube videos, uh, articles, things that I am consuming throughout the week and month that are contributing to my own healing So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can go ahead and click the link at the bottom of this episode description to sign up and become a premium submarine. So I'm just going to play a snippet of the episode and I hope you enjoy and join us on our stupid walks for our stupid mental health. Hello, everyone. Welcome. To stupid walk for my stupid mental health. I think we're on episode three now, which is super exciting. I just got started on my walk. I'll give you an update on the weather because that seems like what we're doing here at the beginning. It's it's brisk. know what I'm saying? like it's it's not too cold, but it's kind of a damp cold. You might hear some car noises because I'm walking to the witchy woods where I do my normal walk and I wore a beanie today and putting on a beanie, like I feel like there's how cool people look in a beanie and then I feel like I just look like a uncircumcised penis, like a little condom head. It's not cute. And I really want it to be cute. For example, Zaz looks great in a beanie. He just rocks it. (sighs) Not me, though. I think it's because I have a tiny little head. So here I am in my little condom hat walking to the woods. So we're going to dive in to the voicemails that I received from you all this week. And there were a few that I thought really jumped out to me and I wanted to share so let's hear from Maria hey Molly so
3: this is me taking my first stupid walk for my stupid mental health I was actually having a good day well I suppose good enough and uh, I I was on my therapy session I'm doing bi-weekly now and I guess that's kind of progress um but then at the end of the session my therapist mentioned that I'm gonna be on a trip um during a couple of holidays that we have in my country and I just I fucking lost it when I realized that um my partner probably is not going to be able to join me and I am really struggling to be able to trust him and uh, it's not his fault of course it's not I've been really traumatized by my um, ex fiance who was really cheating on me and had like a complete double life that I ignored and, well, he was visiting prostitutes while I was um, practicing abstinence and shit like that because we were supposed to be Christians. And now I'm struggling to to trust my new partner. He's great and he is a very loving person. And I don't want to lose him, but I feel like if he doesn't join me on that trip, I'm not going to be able to be in peace and that I'm just going to be trying to break it off. So I just wanted to say thank you for listening to our stuff and for building this community. And also thank you for the here journey. That was exactly what my life was missing. It's been such a huge help. I'm getting a tattoo soon I think in a couple of months um, of the strength strength, uh, card and I am really really excited but I the reason that I am trying uh, to do this is I I cannot help uh, to I cannot help it and I just keep thinking that something really bad is gonna happen that my boyfriend is gonna cheat on me and I'm, I'm gonna like discover something really terrible that he's been doing behind my back he has never given me any reason to, but like in the past, my, my, my dad lied to me and my ex-fiance had another complete life. And it's just, for me, it's impossible not to think that he will do it. And uh, I was wondering if you could share how did you build trust with your partner? I know that you are together for a year, um, for years. I'm dating this guy for a year and a half. Sometimes it just breaks me. <laughs> I was crying actually before and now I had the boogers, as you would say. So thank you so much for your help and for everything that you do. I love you.
0: My favorite part of Maria's voicemail is like, I had the boogers, as you would say. <laughs> I had the boogers. I always have the boogers, Maria. I'm a very phlegmy person. Um, so, Wow. If anyone understands recovering from like psychopathic jealousy and trust issues, it's hot mess Molly over here. So this is tough. What I'm hearing you say, you know, is that there's this trip you're planning on going on and you had a plan to go with your partner right and this has been your expectation he was going and that is a prerequisite requirement for you to enjoy this trip and now that he can't go you know you're spinning the fuck out and you're envisioning all of these scenarios that could go wrong and since you like the hero's journey It makes me feel like you're a little bit of an esoteric bitch like me. In other words, you like the spiritual stuff and you think about these things. And I mean, I think we should all be thinking about these things. But it makes me happy that you are kind of in that space because I feel like my response to your question is going to make more sense because of this. So here's what I think, right? There's a reason why the word spell is what it is when we spell words take a spelling class our words do cast a spell our thoughts can become reality and not in a cheesy the secret way because I feel like this stuff has been so woo -woo wooified that people understandably roll their eyes at it but here's the thing if we're constantly thinking something's going to go wrong and we're so paranoid and distrusting, it's going to make our partners feel like on edge as well. (laughs) And so it just contributes to this really stressful environment when we are casting spells with these words and thoughts and projecting our past onto our future. And that's what causes these repetitive cycles to play out so even if this guy doesn't cheat on you which as you said he hasn't given you any reason to believe he would do that what might blow up the relationship is you convincing yourself that something might happen and so you'd rather shut yourself off to the possibility of a stable relationship in order to protect yourself and thus the self-perpetuating story continues on. And I know that it sounds, it's easier for me to say than, than when you're going through it. Because when you're going through what you're going through, all you can think about is you're happy now and something's got to happen because you've been let down by a lot of the men in your life. And... Now it's turned you into this like frightened animal to a certain extent your nervous system is completely racked and fucked up and you're trying to see the danger around the corner so that it hurts less but I promise you that it hurts more doing what you're doing. You asked me how I overcame it. So every partner I've ever had, I've gone through their phone and when I say I've got, if I could get my hands on their phone, their email. It's like I I had a reflex. I had to go and search it. And I didn't start off this way. It's after I was cheated on a couple times. I have been cheated on so many times. And it all came back to most of the time when when it would be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I would date this super aloof, unavailable guy who I kind of knew in the beginning I couldn't really trust. I would lock him down by being super hypersexual and then you know he would go off doing his own thing which is what he was doing when he met me and he would just keep being probably a broken damaged person just like the rest of us and fucking random girls to try to get validation and fill the hole inside of him but then I would go through his phone find out that he was doing it and then I would traumatize myself and then break up with him right the problem happens when we actually find like a decent human being to date And then we want to do this same dumb shit, you know, and it sounds like you've actually maybe found a good one and nobody's perfect, but it sounds like, you know, you've been together a year and a half and think about it in the scheme of us, you know, emotionally volatile peeps, a year and a half seems like an eternity. (laughs) I remember, but really that's not very long. And I'll tell you a story because you asked me how I kind of overcame it. Early in my relationship with Zaz, like he seemed like a great guy from the beginning, but so did most of the guys. And so I was like really wary and I almost blew up me and Zaz's relationship so many times. And I remember it was probably about a year into our relationship, maybe a bit less. I, Zaz left his phone out and I snatched it and I went through it. And as I started going through it, of course I found nothing. He was like squeaky clean. But you want to know what I felt inside as I was looking at his phone of this person and damaging his privacy? I felt gross. I was like, what in the fuck am I doing? And I remember I just like threw his phone. Not, I didn't damage it, of course. I just tossed his phone away. And when he got back, I just like felt so gross with myself. And I think it was two days later that I said to him, I said, I need to tell you something. I went through your phone and he was very calm. And I said, I'm never going to do it again. I am so sorry. But I had to like confess that to him because I knew it was going to eat me alive. And since then, I have never looked at Zaz's phone once. And I tell you this story because We have to free ourselves from these trust issues. And we also have to wonder, like, what if your boyfriend was doing the same thing to you? What if he was, you know, as nervous about you cheating on him as you were about him cheating on you? How would that make you feel? Right? You'd probably feel like, what do I need to do to prove to you that I'm trustworthy? And this is what we do to our partners when we have all this trauma, you know, is It's like we find a person who actually might be able to treat us well and we can heal in relationship with them, right? We're healing ourselves in relationship with other safe people, right? That's how this works. We're sabotaging our ability to do that. And if we really look hard at how we act, we expect a lot out of our partners, um, us emotionally, uh, explosive folks we expect a lot out of our partners that we probably may not put up with in return or we would, but we shouldn't. And so, you know, you're saying you're already imagining everything going wrong. Why don't you take this as a sign that maybe this is a chance for you to heal exposure therapy style, some of these issues that you've got going on. And when you're on the trip, let go a bit. Don't have the need to check in with him a bunch of times and just let the, what this person has shown you, let him be the person that he's shown you he is, which is a trustworthy person. And I say this a lot, you know, what does this paranoia achieve for us? It's just a really disturbed state. And you won't even be able to enjoy the time that you do have with this person. These are things I've thought about with myself like early on, Zaz was treating me so well. And I thought, what if something happened to me tomorrow or to, or to him tomorrow? And I had spent all this time questioning him and not trusting him and not allowing myself to be in the present moment with this person. If someone is gonna cheat, you're gonna find out about it because I believe that in your in your heart you'll know. But if you're so constantly dysregulated and freaking out, you actually won't have a good gut instinct anymore to know when something actually is wrong. Because you're like chicken little. I don't know if you've ever heard that that old parable. It's a thing. I, I don't know if it's American or not. Probably not. Chicken little is like this little chick. And he's running around and he's always going, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And everyone's looking around at him like, bro, no, it's not. I'm doing a horrible example of describing the fable of Chicken Little. But you get my drift. Don't be Chicken Little. Don't be freaking out saying the sky is falling when it's not. You're just ruining your own day. And so think about this. What if this was the last trip you ever got to take? Alone, you know, how would you approach it then? Instead of thinking he's going to cheat on me, think the opposite thought. Think what if you believed in your heart, I trust this person, we love each other, and I'm going to let him do what he needs to do because I presume he can't come for a reason and there's a good reason. So don't impart your guilt on him. He probably already feels bad enough. And how shocked would he be? And how refreshing would it be for your partner if you said, I love you. You know, maybe this is good. I can go and enjoy myself on this trip and I can do some healing and I want you to do what you need to do here. I love you and I trust you and I want you to know that like I'm trying to heal from all of this, these trust issues and I, I appreciate you sticking by me and through me with this. See how that changes everything. I think it might really open you up. And just remember again, I'm going to say it again. A year and a half s not that long. I would say that Zaz and I only really started settling in just in like the last year. And we've almost been together for four years at this point. And so it took about three years for me to just really spread out in this relationship. And I mean that like, as in just like, relax, let go of all the armor that I was carrying, right? So give yourself a lot of compassion and patience, but also don't make your partner bear the brunt of your trauma, right? Let him know that you're working through this. Take this as a sign that maybe you needed to go on this trip alone. Maybe it'll be the most healing thing ever for you. But let that reality have a chance to exist instead of casting spells, right? Like with your thoughts of all the bad things that could go wrong. Because I promise you, even if something went wrong, you're going to gain a lot more by just enjoying yourself and being in the present moment and dealing with something like betrayal when it's actually happening and in front of you rather than having to constantly guess if it's going to happen. Right. Think of it this way. That's like me being like, I'm not going to go out on a walk because it might rain and there's no rain on the forecast. (laughs) I don't know. I just don't want to go out because it might, it might rain. (laughs) Well, I need to just go out on a walk. And if it rains, then I will do my best to handle it, right? But don't let yourself or I don't know, it's like saying like I don't want to eat sushi. I don't want to try sushi for the first time because I'm terrified that I'm going to get like some kind of mercury poisoning. I know there's like a small chance that you can get sick eating sushi. Again, these are very random examples, but you catch my drift. You see how silly it sounds when I describe the sushi and the rainy walk example. That's how silly it sounds when we do these things to ourselves about our partners, right? So let your partner be, let him be the trustworthy person that he's already proven himself to be to you. Enjoy this trip and start realizing how often you are making the narratives and stories in your mind and not letting the actual present unfold in front of you because you're just you're stealing your own life and you're stealing his life too you're stealing the potential relationship that the two of you could have if you were free from your stories so that's the theme. so that's the snippet that you received today of my stupid walk for my stupid mental health the exclusive show for my premium submarines if you'd like to sign up for access to these episodes you can go to my website or you can click the link at the bottom of the episode description here. I would love to welcome you into the loving arms of our Premium Submarine Circle. It is a beautiful, beautiful community that we are developing together. The rest of that episode, I take a couple more voicemails from Premium Submarines and I finish up with a a really amazing story from a couple of months ago when I was traveling to London for a wedding and when I met a stranger in an airport bar who worked in sales and marketing for psychiatric hospitals and just the wild insights that came from that random conversation with this stranger. So if you'd like to hear the rest of that episode, you will need to sign up. But if you don't, that's okay too. I will see you right back here next week on Tuesday for another episode of Back from the Borderline. Have a great week.